Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's podcast is presented by EPRA, the European Public Real Estate Association. Facing global megatrends like green transition and aging population, how will listed real estate contribute to a sustainable future and financial security for Europe? At the time in history during which unprecedented, unimaginable challenges demand exceptional leaders. It is no secret that certain elements of the design of the Inflation Reduction Act raise the number of concerns. We are sending our leopards to Ukraine. Slava Ukraini. What's driving the shift in trajectory on globalization that we see right now? We do have to wrap our heads around is the conjunction in a particular moment of really very diverse and sort of incohate almost factors. The World Economic Forum is now in full swing and the Politico crew is back for another day in the Swiss Alps. I'm Suzanne Lynch, Politico's chief Brussels correspondent. Today, we'll discuss the subsidy spat playing out right here in Davos with Americans and Europeans trying to come to grips with how both sides can encourage industrial innovation on things like green technology without harming economic opportunities. In this edition, you'll hear from US Senator Joe Manchin, who's largely responsible for America's Inflation Reduction Act, which kicked this debate into high gear. Also, we spoke to Gary Cohn, former director of America's National Economic Council and now vice chairman of IBM. He also shares his economic outlook for the coming year, and it's pretty surprising. And later, we'll talk about a perennial problem in Davos, the lack of women represented at its highest levels. We're in conversation with Shelley Zalas, head of one of the most popular places here in Davos to debate and hang out, the Equality Lounge. And listen out for a surprise appearance by none other than fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg. So do be sure to stick around. But first, let's get straight into one of the big issues playing out here this week in Davos. And that is a whole theme of protectionism versus free trade. I'm joined today by Alex Ward, our national security reporter from D.C., and Jakob Hankavella, our Brussels playbook author. Okay, so shaping up to be another busy day today in Davos, we've got an address by the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. We'll hear from the UN Secretary General and also NATO's chief, Jens Stoltenberg, who is speaking later this evening. But look, we're just going to dive in first to one of the big themes here this week. I mean, Davos is in many ways the symbol of free trade and globalization. This is where the world's big CEOs, the big leaders in the corporate field meet politicians. And it's all about a free trade, breaking down barriers and trying to make those global connections. But this year, there's a little bit of a different feel in the air. The World Economic Forum is taking place just a few months after America passed the Inflation Reduction Act. That's a colossal piece of legislation, including $369 billion worth of climate investments. But the EU was not happy about this. And Ursula von der Leyen took to the stage on Tuesday and she set out a bit about how the EU plans to respond and what it's trying to do in terms of its own industrial strategy. The next decades will see the greatest industrial transformation of our times. 
may be of any times. And those who develop and manufacture the technology that will be the foundation of tomorrow's economy will have the greatest competitive edge. Now, of course, it's a tricky one for von der Leyen. On the one hand, she wants to show European businesses and countries who are worried about this in Europe that the EU will step in, that Europe will put money in where it's needed. On the other hand, she's trying to calm everyone and say, hang on, you know, Europe is still open for business. So we did hear her saying that they will prioritise trade agreements. So we need an ambitious trade agenda, including by making the most, for example, out of the existing trade agreements, for example, with Canada or, for example, with the United Kingdom, with which we are trying hard to sort out our difficulties. We're working on concluding... Alex, you caught up with some interesting people on this very issue this week in Davos. Tell us more. Yeah, I hung out uh, just outside the Hilton Garden Inn so I could stock uh, U.S. senators and members. And they are in deep discussions with European officials and business leaders about what that IRA really means and fielding angry questions from the Europeans who are saying, look, America is now protectionist power. You are prioritizing your industry over a sort of a, a unified transatlantic, you know, free market situation. And the retort to that is coming from Senator Joe Manchin, the centrist Democrat from West Virginia, who was instrumental in getting the IRA through Congress. And his basic message is, this isn't actually about being anti-Europe, it's about being pro-US, which in the end helps Europe. Talk about hypoth- uh, hypocritical? <laughs> to, to say that we're doing something that's too isolated. We're not an isolationist. Mm-hmm. I told Macron the same thing, and he was saying that the IRA bill's hurting. I said, how could it hurt you, sir? That bill was designed to basically strengthen the United States so we could help our allies and friends, which need it right now. And if anybody needs it, the EU needs it. Mm -hmm. And without that, we're not going to be and maintain the superpower status of the world if we're not energy independent. Jakob, maybe you could tell us a bit more about what is the EU's problem here? Why are they so annoyed about the IRA? I think the EU's problem is that they were always, in their minds, leaders on this green transition. Europe has been investing in this and, and subsidizing, to be honest green technology for years. And the U.S. was a bit slower, but when the U.S. goes into something, they go big. And they went much bigger with their subsidies than the EU did. And that's suddenly, they're realizing now, siphoning out investments out of the EU. So all these new factories that were going to be built here for electric cars, batteries, etc., they're suddenly going to be built in the U.S. because they get, first, cheaper energy, but second, tax breaks, which under EU law are illegal. So this is this is a big discussion. Should we now make these kind of tax breaks, these extra subsidies, on top of the ones we already have legal in Europe? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I was at a briefing with Intel and their chief executive, Pat Gelsinger. He was speaking about this. I mean, Intel, one of the biggest chip manufacturers in the world, They've announced a new plant in Ohio. They've announced a new plant in Germany. So this is all music to the ears of the Europeans and the Americans who are trying to get off dependency from other countries for this raw material or this this ingredient, this component of so many goods now. But it was interesting. He was implying and there were a lot of questions about the fact that Intel may be delaying that investment in Germany. And they're saying they're in negotiations about more help, more support from, from countries. So it's going to be difficult for countries. Are we going to be getting into this kind of competitive war for right. companies. There's, for... Yeah, that's definitely the impression that companies have realized they can get more money if they play out the US against the EU. So von der Leyen used his speech to set out the EU's roadmap, if you like, in terms of industrial strategy. Uh, a lot of this was known, but she did unveil a few details, this new Net Zero Industry Act that will come into force by 2030. We will put forward 
a new net zero industry act. This will follow the same and that would fast track permitting for new clean tech production sites and focus on clean tech investment. So, Jakob, I mean, the other issue, I suppose, for von der Leyen is that within the EU, right. there are divisions on this. Exactly. And to understand that for our audience that's not European, you have to understand that state aid, this concept of banning subsidies, is at the heart of the EU. And this is what they're discussing now. Should we change state aid rules? Should we loosen them? And the risk is, of course, that that allows bigger states like Germany and France with much more firepower, deeper pockets, basically, to subsidize their companies, where a smaller EU state can't do that, or at least not to that level. And this is a big discussion. We had figures from the commission from a letter that was leaked by the competition commissioner. And it shows that last year, when the commission already softened or loosened the subsidy rules for the war in Ukraine, 80% of the subsidies that were given, or almost 80%, were given by just two member states, Germany and France. And the rest of the EU accounted for much less. So there's a big tension between these other EU countries and Germany and France. Um, yeah, and interesting also just to mention, I mean, that von der Leyen, she kind of kept her fire in terms of the US. She was talking about transatlantic, you know, relationship and working together. But she did hit out quite a bit at China. China has been openly encouraging energy intensive companies in Europe and elsewhere to relocate all or part of their production. They do so with the promise of cheap energy, low labor costs, and a more lenient regulatory environment. At the same time... Accusing China of heavily subsidizing its industries and effectively poaching companies from Europe for years, promising cheap labor and energy costs, etc. Alex, is this a big issue in the U.S.? No. I mean, any talk about the IRA has been, are we spending too much on climate, on, on some semiconductor stuff? You know, what's sort of the quote unquote pork in the bill, but not necessarily about is this causing some sort of geopolitical rift? So the anger that's felt here on this side of the Atlantic is really not felt in the United States. In fact, when I've talked to lawmakers, they've just said, look, what we're telling the Europeans is that this is really about just improving America's energy independence, its supply chain for semiconductors, and making it a stronger ally for Europe. It is not meant to fight uh, with the Europeans. And, and I should note that when Jakob and I were uh, you know, skipping down the prom- snowy promenade, we were talking about at one point um, how European leaders tend to take more of the brunt for when things might go bad for business. They're sort of seen more as figureheads. In the U.S., not really. You know, no few people are going to go, you know, the business environment is changing and, and being harmed, and therefore it's Biden's fault. There's always that when it comes to, like, taxes, but very rarely when it comes to sort of industry policy. So all this to say is that there really is no sense of backlash in the U.S. If anything, the lawmakers I've talked to have sensed it. We're a bit surprised by the level of rancor here. Mm. I went to a briefing with Marty Walsh, who's the U.S. Secretary of Labor, and he was saying basically the same message. He actually didn't want to get dragged into this. He was saying, I'm going to get into trouble. I'm going to be called to the president if I comment on the IRA, because this is so sensitive for you guys here in Europe. But then he did, because, you know, as journalists, we kept kept insisting. And he said, well, actually, the act is not about Europe. It's about making the US the leader in green tech. And he said he doesn't believe there's going to be a trade war. He, he believes that everybody's going to profit from this. But of course, then you have Alexander Crow, the Belgian prime minister, who says, the U.S. has been calling up Belgian companies, telling them, why are you investing in Belgium? 
you get a much sweeter deal in the US. So there is this tension felt here. And of course, making the US the leader means Europe won't be the leader anymore in green tech. If I may very briefly, the fact that Senator Manchin and his team are the one that pushed this bill through it and effectively wrote it means I think down the line, the tension isn't going to be about protectionism or who gets what business. It's going to be about how the US and Europe differ on combating climate change. And very simply put, Europe believes in the elimination of fossil fuels. And now through the IRA, the US believes in continuing the use of fossil fuels, but extracting the carbon from the air. So it's a difference between elimination and innovation. Interesting stuff. Thanks so much to Alex and Jakob for joining us. So I'm joined by Ryan Heath. Now, Ryan, you were speaking earlier to Gary Cohn, a man who is well known to many in Davos. Yes. So we know Gary from his time at Goldman Sachs. He was famously the last remaining globalist within the Trump administration a lot of the time. And now he's in a very senior role at IBM, which is one of those truly global companies that's actually more like a government in terms of how many people are working for it and the number of places that it's spread out around the world. Okay, so you were speaking to Gary Cohn about some of the themes we've just been discussing. In your role at IBM, you are in the thick of all of these new debates around protectionism. We have seen, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act give a bunch of really interesting and large-scale incentives to American companies. That's made people like Ursula von der Leyen furious about the design of the act. Where do you feel that debate is headed now? You're in the chip sector. It might be affecting other technologies, IBM's in. Where do you want that subsidy discussion to go next? Well, I think we, as an American-based company, but also as a global company, We think about the future. We're a technology company that's thinking about research and development. And the question to us is, where are we going to do our research? Where are we going to have our scientists based? And we would prefer to have our scientists and our research based in the United States. We just have to make sure the United States is a competitive place for us to do our research. And so we spend an enormous amount of money. We have a large research budget. We just want to make sure that the federal tax system and the U.S. government is incentivizing us to do our research, which we think ultimately is a huge windfall for the U.S. government. As we develop more products and more technology in the United States, they get built potentially in other parts of the world, Mm -hmm. but then they get re-imported into the United States and it drives a circle of economic growth. And IBM obviously is a truly global company. So... If Ursula von der Leyen and the EU go ahead with their Net Zero Industry Act, then that is something that can propel everyone up and forward, including IBM. Yes. I mean, IBM is actually a really unique company. We have about two-thirds of our expenses in the United States. That's because we have a big research footprint. Mm -hmm. And we have two-thirds of our revenue outside of the United States. So we're we're a net importer of revenue back to the United States. Mm -hmm. So... I think you have to think about the globalization of our footprint, the globalization of our business, the fact Mm -hmm. that we sell software everywhere, we sell mainframe computers everywhere, we sell storage everywhere, we sell memory in all different places of of the world. And where were those products designed? Most likely they were designed in the United States. Mm -hmm. But we do employ people literally all over the world. Now, another debate that you were in the thick of in previous roles and which now continues to be at the center of IBM's business model is how the United States and other democracies relate to China. So we've seen CHIPS Acts pass in the US, they're going to pass in Europe. Do you think that's the first of many? Is there a risk that we start applying export controls 
willy-nilly on quantum and other technologies? How do you think we should manage those relationships? I think the CHIPS Act and CHIPS is really unique. You know, if we learn nothing else out of the pandemic, I think each and every country learned where their bottleneck is in crucial supply pipelines. Yeah. So, you know, early in the pandemic, it may have been cleaning supplies and it may yeah. have been disinfectants, but that yeah. got solved relatively quickly. Yeah. The long-term bottleneck for the vast majority of developed economies ended up being chips. Yeah. We were all sort of beholden to the chip manufacturing countries of the world. And today, that's primarily Taiwan. And when you think of the damage that that did to domestic economies, it was pretty significant. And you can ask, why is that? It's, it's a multitude of reasons. You know, the proliferation of chips into almost everything we use today is extraordinary. Like I, I joke with people, you can't go buy a simple dishwasher where you just turn it on. Yep. Your dishwasher now has a touch control panel that's got a bunch of chips inside of it. So everything we buy today has chips inside of it. So when the chip production slowed down in the world and there was a fight for chips, we saw the supply chain breakdown. We know how crucial chips are, not only to everyday goods mm -hmm. that we consume, but when then you think about the military industrial infrastructure yep. and the sophisticated weaponry that we're using in the world today, laser-guided missiles, or you're thinking about drones, or you're thinking about protecting your country, you start thinking, wow, if chips are that important and they're really concentrated in their production to a few countries, and we could be easily cut off from those countries, don't we as a country have to take a view of protecting ourselves yep. in these bad scenarios. So one last question. Are you optimistic or pessimistic on the global economy this year? I think compared to most people in Davos, I'm optimistic. It's a pretty down crowd here. People are talking about a lot of global recession. They're talking about pretty negative outcomes. And it's I, like they're I, talking I, us into a recession. Yeah. I have this feeling too. I don't see that. I'm like I'm not bullish thinking we're in this wildly growing economy, but I'm not negative. So I think we're going to have a low growth economy in 23. Gary Cohn, thank you for joining us on Davos Confidential. Thank you very much for having me. That was Gary Cohn in conversation with Ryan Heath. And Ryan will be back right after this short break to bring us a lively conversation about equality at Davos. Stay with us. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. A message from EPRA. In an era where the green transition and retirement security are top priorities for the next EU Commission, listed real estate is a dual force in addressing these global megatrends. 
As the world strives to meet the Paris Agreement's objectives, the sector provides transformation to Europe's building stock, significantly reducing our carbon footprint and advancing sustainable development goals. Amid financial uncertainties, particularly around retirement income, listed real estate offers a resilient investment choice, promising stability, growth and positive social impacts. It provides crucial infrastructure Europe needs, from healthcare facilities to sustainable housing, ensuring a greener, more secure future for millions. EPRA and its members are dedicated to leveraging this potential, working alongside EU institutions to foster investments that build and benefit society and Europe. So what other highlights have there been for you so far, Ryan? Well, I always love popping into the Equality Lounge because it just has a much more diverse cast of characters than the people you see on the main stage in the Congress Centre. Okay, so Ryan, you were interviewing Shelley at the Equality Lounge and who popped by only Diane von Furstenberg with Elise Nelson of Vital Voices Global Partnership. And that's a truly Davos moment. So I got to be chatting away with Diane about the state of feminism and equality and how she is not going to wait 132 years for that equality to arrive. I'm now here with the founder of the Equality Lounge. Shelley, why don't you tell us who you are and why you founded the Equality Lounge? Oh my goodness, thank you. I am the CEO of the Female Quotient. And I started this because it's really time to change the equation and close the gender gap. And I started this about 10 years ago. And it started as the girls' lounge. Mm -hmm. The opposite of boy is girl. The opposite of club is lounge. If there's a boys' club, there's got to be a girls' lounge. Mm -hmm. And it really was about creating safe spaces for women to come together and support one another. We, pre-pandemics, created 70 spaces at big industry Mm -hmm. conferences. And once we had over a million women across 100 countries supporting one another, we evolved to equality lounges. And that was so exciting because I remember seeing what you were doing and thinking, oh, I definitely shouldn't go there, stay away. And then when I came in and you broadened out the programming, I realized this was just the most exciting place on the promenade and the conversations were real debates and there was just an energy level here that you don't see on the main stage at Webb. Yeah, you know what? It's a place. Well, when we started the Girls' Lounge and we were invited to the World Economic Forum, my invitation was, we want you to come, but you might not feel welcome. That was the invitation. And I thought, you know, my head said, who wants to go somewhere where you might not feel welcome? My heart said, I have to come. And I called it the place for the 17%, because less than 17% of white batches, people that were at Congress, were women. And that is a chronic battle here in Davos. Like They keep hitting the same sort of numbers year after year after year. Is that a business model problem? Is it what they do isn't interesting to women? Like, why can't they get those numbers up, in your view? Well, I mean, think about it. The people that get badges are the C-suite. Mm-hmm. And so who's in the C-suite? I mean, yep. the people invited to have a seat at the table are world leaders, yep. men, yep. CEOs and... C-suite, men, people in government, men. So, I mean, it's 17%. So I put a sign up that said the place for the 17%. And then once women started supporting women and I evolved to Equality Lounge, I called it the place for conscious leaders. Well, look who we have joining us. We've got a change maker up here. We have more conscious leaders. We have vital voices. We have Elise Nelson. Joining us, we have the Diane von Furstenberg, another conscious leader. 
I think we should also let our guests in on a secret. You're talking to Ryan Heath from Politico, Diane. Hi, Elise. Um, Hi. We're not trapping you in a conversation here, but we're giving Shelley a platform to talk about why she's the coolest space in Davos and why conscious leadership is something that has to be more injected into these conversations. Diane, you've been raising your voice for five, six decades now. <laughs> Did you think we'd make more progress by this point? You know, forget about progress, not progress. Right now, the world is in major crisis everywhere. And we have a tendency to go backward, and people are desperate. They don't know what to think about. So we have to think and work with our heart. The heart is what matters, you know. And if each individual, woman or man, you know, take the responsibility of being true to themselves... If you are true to yourself, you become free. I am here as a board member of Vital Voices. Vital Voices is this incredible global organization of badass women in 184 countries. And they get shit done. And they... Will you cut me out? Because no, I said no, that? no, no, we no. Love badass women. Oh, no. And, and, then, and these are women leaders in all the country. But they're not prime ministers. They are women on the ground who do things. I mean, every time I meet them, I feel like I'm so such a loser. I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything with my life. We should life. all be this kind of loser. So, so, really, I mean, you know, check about it. Yeah. One thing I want to say about Shelley is that she does the impossible. And right now, if we're really 136 years away from inequity or from equality, then we gotta we gotta start doing the impossible. We haven't got that. Yeah, I know we haven't got 100 because we gotta move that faster. And Diane actually joined Vital Voices last night. Mm-hmm to launch a $100 million fund to invest in women leaders. Yeah, but you know what? We always say the collective minority is greater than the current majority. And it's a power of the pack. A woman alone has power. Collectively, we have impact. And that is the most important thing that we can all understand. And when you look at the statistics, when the World Economic Forum published the report that it's going to take 132 years, we're four years better than before, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Where are you going to be in 132 years? Seriously? We can close the gender gap in five years with conscious leadership. Five years. That's all it takes. Why? How long will it take to figure out how to pay Sally the same as Peter? Seriously? Ridiculous. We have put people on the moon in 10 years. We have self-driving cars that know when the lights are green and when the lights are red. We made a vaccine in one year, and we can't figure out how to put women in leadership. We can't figure out how to put diversity in the workplace. We can't figure out how to close the pay gap. These are the easiest things in the world to do. Where there's a will, there's a way. It just is accountability. That's all. It's Accountability choice. is the key word of the week for us at Politico, and that's advice to live by from the badass women of the Equality Lounge. Thank you all very much. Vital voices. Thanks so much, Ryan, for that. That was really fascinating. Definitely a Davos experience for sure. So that's it for today. We're heading off to do more interviews and panel discussions, but we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our regular podcast, EU Confidential, wherever you're listening. You can also find these special Davos episodes by subscribing to Ryan's podcast. It's called Global Insider. I'm Suzanne Lynch. Thanks again to our executive producer, Christina Gonzalez. See you tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.